0: Hello and welcome to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. It is Wednesday afternoon, December 18th. It is early Sonic day for college football. A big day on our website, at our network. Head coaches from all over the country stopping in for live hits on the platform. And plenty happening in our neck of the woods here in West Virginia. Uh, a pretty full cup depending on how you look at things there may be room for a few more people sooner than later who knows but certainly today was um the beginning of the end of the recruiting cycle although there is a little bit of news that follows and there's a whole lot to sweep up into the pan here so I'm welcoming chris anderson who has been up since roughly monday
1: <laughs> it's been a while couple days and yeah not a lot of sleep lots of coffee and uh, then a little curveball today with my uh, three-year-old daughter being sent home from preschool uh, sick. So she wasn't much help, unfortunately. But then only for me to also find out that she was fine about an hour later after a nap. So I don't know if that qualifies as sick anymore. I heard it was a fight and not actually an illness. <laughs> I don't know about that.
0: Never oh. trust the uh, the injury report, I guess. Uh-huh. Pop quiz, yes. One word, describe what is on paper for West Virginia's recruiting class today. Just one word.
1: Athletic. I think this. Is for I was going to say fast, but there's too many. There's too many linemen for this to be fast. Uh, I, I think athletic because I'm looking at guys. I, I gave my one word. Now I'm going to give lots of words. Oh, yeah. but uh, like. We've gone over some of them already, but David Vincent Okoli. been talking about him since the summer. I, I've been so high on him ever since he was at camp. He's a state champion uh, sprinter, uh, but he's more than that. Now, I've seen state championship spr- sprinters come through Morgantown all the time. They always come up at play football, too. Great. They run fast in a straight line, and that's all they can do. Uh, we saw a couple of those this summer, but Okoli was not one of them. He has great change of direction. He is strong. He already looks physically de- developed for cornerback at the college level. I think you know he's one of the freakish athletes that West Virginia's had in the last few years. And I think, as Neil Brown said, the best camper uh, that they saw all summer long. Um, Sam Brown is absurd athlete. Added today, like six two, six three, runs a four four forty, long jumps twenty three feet. I can't even comprehend that, yeah. but. It, it just keep going down the line. You're looking at guys, even at defensive line guys like Sean Martin. When I went to go see him down in Bluefield a couple of weeks ago, he he's not someone you think of as, as, as a lineman, especially when you're thinking of a high school level. He, he's trim. He's muscular. Uh, he looks just like a solid muscle. He's lean. He's not like a lineman that you think of traditionally, and, and, and he can move. So I think if you add me to for the whole class, Pick one word. I think it's athletic.
0: Yeah, I look at some positions, too, where they, I think it's like kind of what they try to do is they look for quote-unquote athletes, but that bandit position, definitely, and we talked about this earlier, different body sizes there. You know, 6'3", 215, 6'3", 235, doesn't look the same, but two guys are going to run around and do some things. Offensive line, um, I'm surprised by how small, I use that word strangely enough as it is, but small, Tariq Stewart is, but that guy was apparently – significantly larger than 325 before but has really good junior college tape and he's gotten himself into shape. But then you think about a guy like Zach Fraser, accomplished football player, also a really good wrestler. Um, and then even on the defensive backfield side of things, guys who could be a corner, who could be a safety, maybe a spear, um, who knows, but they can play football or they can be taught how to fit into a position. Um, get them here, develop them, coach them up, figure it out. Um, but, boy, you'd much rather have than have not when it comes to the athleticism part of things.
1: Yeah. uh, Athleticism, speed, uh, all else, everything else equal. uh, You definitely want that. And I think you increase the team speed just in general team athleticism. It's going to help out in all facets of the game. Definitely had to get faster. We noticed that early in the season. I think Missouri was
0: one game where we thought, uh-oh, small is one thing, but being a little bit slower a foot is another. And, you know, there are times this year where people just got run past or they couldn't run away from people, and that was an issue. So that certainly helps. Let's roll along with some questions too here. This one popped up in, in my Hey Mike thread on our message board, and I don't have a great answer for it, but since I'm here with you, we can go over that. But wants to know because he doesn't follow recruiting too much or too closely. But, hey, give me three guys who we should be excited about in the class. And I'll let you go over what qualifies as exciting. It could be the process. It could be the player. It could be the potential. But who are three guys? Uh,
1: I think I already touched on one, Acoli. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been all in on him. I'm going to share my behind-the-scenes piece uh, beginning Thursday, and I think we begin with defensive backs, and he's on there. I shared uh, the exact notes that I sent up the ladder to the national analyst for the ranking. And this was when I saw him back in June. And I was just like, this guy is a power five level wide receiver, but an NFL talent at cornerback. He is something special. Uh, you're just not going to find this combination of size, strength and speed in one player. You're just not going to see it very often. So I will talk about him too much Um Sam Brown's new. Uh, everybody likes new, uh, yeah. especially when they come in at six. Like I said, six two, six three, and run a four, four 40. But again, I just talked on him, so let me go somewhere else. Uh, Akoli, uh, uh Jairo, I Jairo, think, uh, Jairo. Uh, I'm telling you, Mike. Mike, you were standing there. I, I share this story in in the same piece where a certain defensive coach who will remain nameless saw jairo go through the drills going through the bag drills and it's hard to put into words everybody's seen the pictures that i took from that camp but his thighs are about as big as most cornerbacks waists (laughs) and he was just i mean he's a man and and he is because he's 20 years old that's another thing I think they keep alluding to but not flat out saying he's 20 years old he's not your typical 17 year old high school senior um but he looks like a grown man yet. He still moves like a a real athlete and a certain defensive coach just saw him going through these drills and moving like that. And was like, who the hell is that? And Hey, you and I had the answer to who that was. And now he's part of the class and I think he could be something special. Um, going down the board a little bit, a little wild card here from somebody that's, we have kind of pretty lowly ranked, which I'm surprised by, but Jackie Matthews, um, Mm -hmm. Third lowest rated kid in the class, yet he's a junior college All-American for a national championship junior college team and won defensive back MVP in the always loaded Mississippi JUCO conference. Um, He's proven it. He can do it. Uh, I think he can come right in now. He's listed as a cornerback. I think he might play safety. He played a lot of like a free safety type in junior college. I think you could see him there. Um, but with his versatility, I, I think it'll just depend on where the need is. So I think it's exciting to get him out there and, uh, contributing right away. What do you think about the
0: comparison as Matthews being Josh Norwood, but three inches taller? <laughs> I think that's
1: a good one. And I think most people would be pretty darn thrilled with that. It's funny. I think they're
0: going for that too. And I, I think I wrote about this in the beginning of the year, maybe toward the middle of the year, but um, that's a corner who may not be fast enough or tall enough to hang out there, but is such a good player that he can play in the defensive backfield. And he's fearless, and that's where the whole phrase "contact courage" was born out of Brown's mouth this year. Is that he had that contact courage? You know, he is five nine, whatever weight he is that day, um, but he can fly around and make tackles as a free safety. And I think if you look around the Big 12, and probably true beyond just the Big 12, but certainly in this conference where the pass is what it is. If you can have somebody who has corner skills playing on a defensive backfield, that's great. And Maybe he is a corner. They're going to start him at safety, they said today. But th- that's kind of a commodity to have there who can swing around and do different things. You have to like that. Also, he played at a pretty good high school program. Um, and a lot of people think highly of Patrick Nix, who is the coach at his high school. He's the old Auburn quarterback. So um, I think he has pretty good lineage. For football and Brown did talk about that today, pointed out the state championships, national championships, state championships in different sports, different events, not just football. Um Is that I don't want to say new, but the fact that, you know, they are trying to change culture here, so to speak. value, no, guys who win.
1: I don't think so. I think they've always been about I think even on the older staff, they really. You know, a lot of the times the best players are on the best teams. That's just the way it is. And I think West Virginia has always recruited the best teams. And, uh, you know, especially in, in junior college as well, um, they've been heavy at Lackawanna over the years. And Lackawanna was the team that Mississippi Gulf Coast, where Jackie Matthews plays, that was the team that played in the national championship against Jackie Matthews and Mississippi Gulf Coast. So and they have a long, long history of success there. So does the ASA College, where West Virginia has been before. Uh, so does Northwest Mississippi, uh, Juco, where West Virginia has a history as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, that's normal. Uh, I, I, I think that, that hasn't changed so much. Another question, this one from our friend Frank,
0: who was on the board and tweeted at me today and wanted to know, um, any real, quote, wows, quote, in this recruiting class? And again, parameters are up to you, but, I think of maybe one or two players that I have in the tip of my tongue, and I'll see if you can pull those names out of thin air. But are there guys who will wow or do wow right now in this group?
1: Wow, as in, like, surprise me that they got on, in this class? Or I would say,
0: the, yeah, again, parameters are up to you. Maybe Maybe it's someone who, maybe West Virginia went fishing in a different pond and caught something that they shouldn't have, which is a good thing. Maybe it's someone who is just a novice recruiting you know, fan or just a fan of the team is going to be impressed by that person ending up on this roster or we'll just like to see him in shoulder pads and a helmet in a year.
1: Uh, I think it's the two they got today, Mesidor, Akeem Mesador and Sam Brown. Uh, I, I think I touched on this in our preview podcast of, of signing day talking about Mesador, how if West Virginia can pull that off, it is a real coup. I mean, they have not – it's been six months since he visited – they And once he visited, he has to get up there on his own dime, which he didn't and couldn't. Um, so the only options they had was to sparingly kind of try to swing by or touch base with him, which is difficult because a lot of that contact period overlaps with the season. So they were really limited as he just continued on to visit other schools. And, and he is a talent. I mean, he's got 29 offers. Uh, mm-hmm. At one point, he got nine offers, and I think it was like three days. Um, and he's shown a lot of potential I uh, was just a couple a year or two ago. He was a six, 195 pound linebacker. Now he's a six, three, 250 pound defensive end. Who knows what he might grow into. And then Sam Brown, that's been well documented the last few days, uh, stealing him from central Florida. No big deal. Uh, but once Georgia came in with an offer, Florida, Ole Miss, convincing him to spurn those schools, especially with his connections with Ole Miss, cause that's where his recruiter from UCF went. Um, And then visiting Gainesville this past weekend, that was – I almost didn't – I started to hear it. I I mentioned it. I started to hear it yesterday on Tuesday that West Virginia might get him and to not just keep – to not keep my crystal ball in Florida, to switch it. But I just – I almost just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that West Virginia was going to fight off Florida, Georgia, and Ole Miss – with those schools getting the last visit, the last offers for a kid that is right there in southern Georgia, and an hour or two away from Gainesville. Correct me if I'm wrong, but his
0: high school was kind of new, right? Did he just happen to be, I don't want to say lost in the shuffle, but certain conferences or schools or coaches know what places to go to in certain neighborhoods. Uh, Savannah, that part of Georgia, talent is there, um, but not a ton of attention on him up until the very end.
1: Yeah. I don't think they've had this team, but for like four or five years, maybe, Uh, maybe even, I I don't know. I, like you said, I think especially in a a talent rich state like Georgia, uh, the talent tends to localize at at certain schools, at certain powerhouse schools and college coaches tend to just kind of go towards, go that direction, just float towards those schools. And, maybe skip over some of these smaller schools that are left behind. And I think, uh, you know, where he went to school in New Hampstead counts.
0: 63 catches in high school, too. So it's not like he was um, consistently filling up his huddle reel with great, you know, games and highlights and performances, too. Um, Another guy, and this is kind of a recruiting thing I want to ask you about. Jordan White um, did not play his junior year, correct? Um, Yeah. And then was back this year in – them at the you can go into this but pretty good they're going to play a pretty good schedule so you're going to find out but the fact that there's no junior tape on this guy that can benefit a school like West Virginia which can go into a place that's not too far from home and can see guys who are talented and who don't have offers and maybe a guy who's that good and let's just say he could end up out of Maryland or some other big 12 school or at UVA or some other ACC school sorry big 10 school or at UVA or some other ACC school my, my point being other neighborhoods other conferences but West Virginia can come in and say hey in the neighborhood, Power 5, scholarship, and we're not filled up to. How much of an advantage is it when you can look at senior tape and make a judgment on guys when others maybe don't have that need or interest?
1: I think this is the type of player that West Virginia, this situation kind of just played out perfectly for them because you really can kind of sneak in and steal this kid. This kid, after his sophomore season, his sophomore season, was considered a four-star recruit with offers from everywhere. LSU, Penn State, everyone wanted him. But then when he gets hurt and misses his whole junior year, I-, I can't stress this enough, the junior season is the most important season when it comes to recruiting. If you do not have a good junior year or if you're hurt during your junior year, your recruiting, as far as your exposure, is going to plummet. Um, and I don't want to say his plummeted. It's hard to plummet from as far up as he was. Uh, on everybody's boards but then he kind of just stayed under the radar because as soon as he started getting healthy again he just committed to Maryland Uh, that was in the spring so he's either hurt or committed elsewhere and then West Virginia you know just doing their due diligence comes across him sees that he decommits from Maryland and jumps on him quick with an offer then a visit from uh, Coach Adai And next thing you know, he's on campus for an official visit. I think it was a great move. I think, you know, we may be sitting here, say, three years from now, and he's getting ready to start his second season at right guard. And we're going, wow, what a great steal that was.
0: Let's stick on the offensive line, too. Um, Quantity of players here, we'll see about quality. But they had to because of – Let's say some recent and perhaps future news about players who aren't on the team. And also, by the way, they weren't very good in the defensive line last year, and they lost their two best players to graduation. Um, I found it interesting today that I forget who it was, but ask Brown, you had to address your line, and these guys are high school players. But he made it seem like that Fraser is strong enough. Uh, White has played good competition. Um, Mayo has played postgraduate high school players, um, kind of made it seem like, and Stewart's obviously different because of junior college, but there might be 2020 help on the offensive line. Do you buy that? Or is that just it's Sunday day and everybody
1: loves me. I can say what I want. I think it's that, I, I think I, I took it a little bit differently from you. Cause I think the fact that he didn't just say, yeah, they might be ready to play. And instead focused on one attribute of their skill set told me. They can do this, but they're not ready to play. Right. And, and which I don't, is in no means a knock. I think it's absurd for any true freshman um, offensive lineman to play. That's just almost unheard of in college football nowadays, especially with how big and strong guys get with the college weight program. So I don't think it's, it's not a knock on any of these guys. But I took it as, yeah, these guys can do some good things. We really like them, but come on, no. And I think that's why you see Stewart in this class. I think you, uh, I think that's why Jacob Gamble, who did not sign today but might still sign later, is still a possibility, and why you see that Neil Brown just openly admitted that they're going to still add more linemen, and it could be transfer-type linemen. So it, it's, it's a real possibility that they add one more or even maybe swap Gamble out and add two more. If I can
0: speak for Neil Brown for a second, I'll add some context. I think when he says... Play. I'm not sure he means 13 games or, or even nine games. I think he means that some of these guys can actually get into games for even the redshirt rule. And to couch that a little bit, he explained today why Moore and Yates didn't. And Yates was close, Moore not so much. But I think he means that perhaps these guys could get in mm-hmm. and fill in at some point, um, at, at, you know, for, for however, however long we'll see. But, yeah, realistically to play right away um, significant contribution. I don't know about that. That's really hard in that spot too. Um, one more, we'll wrap up on just the, the, what today was, but we, we kind of get caught up in a recency bias here where, you know, who's new to the class, what battles do they win or lose? And then because of December now, we gotta look ahead to February and how many, how many spots they still have left. So that's all fun. But some of the best prospects here on some of the best stories are players who have been committed for a long long time we're talking uh gary green we're talking Reese smith we're talking uh washington the receiver from way back those guys committed and then guys like mesador who visited early and committed late but they maintain a relationship with um even okoli where they had a really good relationship with him from the summer and then followed off some attention with him too um The top of this class, it seems like, are guys they've had the longest relationships with. How much of a conquest is that for them?
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: I think it's big. I think it's huge that they jumped in on some of these guys so early. I mean, their very first offer, the very first 2020 offer handed out by Neil Brown when he arrived at West Virginia was Ree Smith. Um, He wasn't the first uh, quarterback offered by Brown at West Virginia. That was Bo Allen. Who I believe ended up at Kentucky. Right. But Garrett Green was. The first quarterback he offered. When he was at Troy. And as soon as Green came up and visited West Virginia. Brown offered him on the spot. And, and Green jumped on it a couple of days later. So he he noticed that talent. Real early. And, and you're right. I think some of those early picks are our good ones. Um, Reese Smith. I was talking to a capital S source the other day at WVU and asked, oh. um, you know, Hey, just picking your brain who in this class you're looking at our rankings. Who do you think is li- like, who are we undervaluing? Who, who, who is not ranked high enough? Everybody always asked me that. And I'll tell you what I asked coaches that too. And the first person he mentioned was Reese Smith. He said, there's a reason we offered him first and he is the best player in Kentucky right now I think we have him ranked 10th as the 10th best player in Kentucky you watch his film this year the problem is you can't watch his film because he doesn't care he doesn't make a highlight film he doesn't put it out he doesn't do media but he's probably going to win mr. football in Kentucky this year as, as the best player in the state uh, he has broken every record that Neil Brown ever had at that high school uh, as Brown noted he went to the same high school as Neil Brown and not only that, but broke records on the other side of the ball, on defense, of guys who went on to play in the NFL for interceptions. So he is a supreme talent. I think I, I was surprised by him when I saw him in the summer. I admitted at the time that, uh, you know, I, the film looked good, but I wasn't sure about the competition. But when I saw him at, this, uh, at camp in the summer, he kind of literally leaps off the field. Uh, he, all of a sudden, he's at the ground. And before you can bat an eye, he's three feet in the air, snagging a ball um, that's 12 feet in the air, it feels like. Uh, so he, he's a lot more athletic and, and twitchy than people probably give him credit for.
0: Hmm.
1: We figure a couple of these guys are projects. We talked
0: about some of the offensive linemen and some of the defensive backs, even it's going to require them time to find a spot and then go. Garrett Green, probably a year or so away, at least, um, but I'm looking at junior college players who are expected to play. That'd be Mays on the defensive line, Matthews on the defensive backfield. Simmons, we'll see. Um, I don't know, maybe, I guess, but obviously here for a reason. I'm sorry, not, not Simmons. Uh, Tariq, uh, what is his last Stewart. name? Oh, second. Stewart. yeah. Sorry, Mr. Stewart. Anyways, the junior college guys, I, I think that the defensive backs, that's different than an offensive lineman, but maybe, maybe we'll see. Um, but... The bandits, maybe because they have to. The defensive line, when you get a guy like, I mean, you get a guy like Martin, that's a pretty good player to put out there and see what happens in the defensive line. So that may be uh, an immediate knee guy. Receiver could be loaded next year, and you're adding perhaps your two best skill players there. Um, I think O'Coley has a chance to play somewhere. How many of these guys can fit in right away and not four game redshirt rule guys, but guys who become you know, a Tyke Smith, a Kerry Martin, a Winston Wright, an Ollie Jennings. So, or beyond that,
1: even. Uh, okay, you caught me off guard with this question, but I'm, I'm with you on the on the junior college players. You mentioned the three of them um, that are currently signed. I don't, we'll wait on Gamble before we talk about him, but I agree. Matthews is playing. Mays is playing. I don't think there's any doubt with either of them. They're both enrolling early. They're both at spots where they need depth. They need immediate help. So I think – both of those guys are in, they're playing, they're in the two deep uh, all spring and into the fall. Uh, Tariq Stewart, that's a maybe. He, he'll get here in May. So he'll have a little extra summer time to work out and stuff with the team. But he does have a red shirt year, year available. So I can see them trying to, you know, give him a shot. And if it doesn't work out, don't try to press them too hard because um, they are adding guys and they might still add a transfer later. So I, I think that's possible. I don't, Expect any of the high school offensive linemen to contribute. I agree about Martin; he might get in there a good bit, but there is a lot of depth, so he might be a four-game guy. Uh, Ocoli, he's in for me. Uh, Jairo is in. Fabris is wow, in. Okay. I think he. I think he'll, uh, you know, get in there in the spring, and because I'm not 100 that he's going to be a corner, I think he could play corner and safety. Uh, maybe his eventual home is safety. Uh, you know, by the time he's a sophomore, or junior, so I could see him uh, a special teams guy and say playing sparingly on defense. So definitely not four game rule. And then, uh, yeah, Bandits. Maybe Lanel Carr. I think he's big enough. If he if he's fast enough, I could see him getting uh, some extended run at the Bandit position. Because I agree, it's going to be going to be mighty thin in the fall. I just complain
0: about our recency bias and talking too much about today and the eleventh hour and what follows that too. But there are a couple of spots left. They can get up to twenty-two players that they can include organically in those class. They can borrow ahead, of course, um, which is what they did last year and why they're left with just twenty-two um, officially. Three players from twenty-twenty counted toward twenty-nineteen, and I believe it's Jared Daigie. It is Josh Groudon, and it is Alonzo Adai. So two of them will be on the team. One of them, unfortunately, not. So that's kind of the price you have to pay when you're trying to restructure a roster like they did. But still have some room here. 18 players were introduced today. We kind of hear there's a maybe on one today, maybe tomorrow, but also maybe not. Um, How does this look when we sit down
1: two months from now after the February signing date? So 18 now, I think... I think when we talk the day after signing day in February, there will be 22 Mm -hmm. because I think they're going to, you know, fudge the numbers in summer like they did last summer. And those four spots will go uh, running back, cornerback, offensive line. And then, I mean, I would personally, I would think there would be a second running back based off what the current situation is at running back but i guess it all depends on on who those players are they're not just going to take guys to to take them you don't foresee a quarterback
0: well let let's let's be honest here um there, there's a question mark about Austin Kendall does he yeah. want to do this again? Um, and then, so and let's say he doesn't, and I don't think anybody would fault him for that. Um, you know, he's trying to find the right fit, and if Jared Dagey is it, um, perhaps he knows this and he needs to get somewhere. And maybe it happens in the next couple of weeks here. And I'm speculating here, not so wildly. I think it's a pretty understandable situation here. But if that does happen, that's a really thin situation there, and you almost have to find somebody, right?
1: yeah but here's here's my counter uh, Hit me. from from both sides, my counter on the Kendall leaving thing because i I agree. at first I was like, yeah, I, I think he's gone. I think it'll happen. but uh, to where is my question because this is will be two transfers after the fact now what's the what's the rule on that like I, I've, I've never encountered need...
0: it before. I have no idea. And the other thing, too, I've been told is that, and again, I haven't done my homework on this, too, but he's getting two majors and he was taking classes concurrently. And it may be hard for him to get that done in a year. Right. So I'm so... not sure he knocked out one. I don't know what the rules are because I've never had a postgraduate transfer transfer
1: right. I watch. So if, for all I know, it's illegal. <laughs> can't yeah, even that's have... what I'm saying. I am saying. I don't know if he'd even be eligible right away where he this. tried to go and we where should... he <laughs> – we should cut this. Yeah, but if
0: it does happen, though, I guess my point is that I I agree with what you're thinking here, and perhaps a second running back isn't a bad idea, but I also think, like, if you're adding a quarterback, you're really kind of just adding a practice arm. Do you need to to devote a scholarship to it? I don't know. Uh, Perhaps somebody who has a little bit more longevity than, you know, maybe like another grad transfer or even like a junior college guy, but you can find somebody later, I think. I just don't know what the quality of addition is for a February addition as a running as a quarterback yeah. Unless they can yeah. get a transfer who's got a couple years left
1: yeah that was my second my second counterpoint um was yeah what who are they going to add and and is it worth is it worth using a scholarship in an already tight scholarship situation on a guy that you're just like hey we just need somebody to come in and be our third string please because I, I right. th- otherwise i don't think it's going to be there take off
0: your homer hat here for a minute please mm-hmm. um right now The number four class in the Big 12 and trending top, oh boy, I'm trying to figure out how these things are going to shake out above them or below them. Certainly a top 40, perhaps a top 35 class. Um, First year, really nothing to recruit on apart from promises that I think some kids could have listened to those promises and watched as things unfolded and not signed today or not stayed on board during the season. Um, but pretty good in the number of players that they got. Left themselves some wiggle room. Everybody seems to like who they have. Number four in the Big Twelve is pretty good. Top thirty-five in the country is pretty good. Um, should we be impressed here, or should we be wait and see a little bit? Because, and again, I'm not getting into the always recruiting. You know, things don't matter until years from now. No, they matter today. <laughs> Because you're to get to this point and to have certain rankings and evaluations, it's based on a body of work, what these kids have done, what these schools have done to get them here, too. But um, it seems like it's pretty good work, all things considered, and especially for all the dynamics we talked about from the longevity of the relationships to the struggle of the season to fighting at the end, too. Yeah, Mike, do you not read my tweets, man? I was teeing it up for you. I was teeing it up for you. Actually, Uh, thank you. One hundredth versus one thousandth of a point,
1: too. Yeah. Hey. All right. At least now I know that it's one thousandth of a point. Um, But as I joking about on my tweet, I I was looking at it going back the average recruiting rating. So this, you know, obviously recruiting rankings for the team rankings take into account how many recruits you have. But I'm looking at the average rating of the recruit, kind of a quality over quantity uh, look at it. But their current ranking, zero point six three eight, is one thousandth of a point from being the highest average recruit rating in program history, and this is coming after a five and seven year. Like I said, not not a whole lot of uh, you know to to recruit on. Hey, we went five and seven, but we kind of looked okay, better at the end. Um, a new staff that started in January, a, a full year. I mean, the, these recruiting cycles are, are two years in length, so they were behind. Every other team in the country, basically, except for the other teams that had new coaches uh, for an entire year. And they were somewhat limited on how they could work these scholarships and get in there. So for them to put this class together, I I thought it was already really good. But to keep anybody from leaving on their own free will and to add the two guys so far that they've added today uh, was wildly impressive.
0: Oh. Okay, good. Interesting. I like that. Um,
1: I I forgot. I took my Homer hat off, but I put it back on. Is that okay? You're fine. I can see clearly (laughs) here.
0: Um, Last one, and then we'll get out of here with this, too. Um, I was checking out just how other classes were falling into place and where guys who were uncommitted ended up, and I ended up looking at just the top 50 players in the country. Um, 16 of them ended up on our playoff teams. And then some weird outliers there, too, like Nebraska – Southern South, uh, South Carolina, USC I have on my notes, but I know it means South Carolina has two of the top 50 players. Oregon has two. Uh, and then there's some TBDs with Georgia and LSU and Texas and Penn State and Notre Dame and things like that too. But really concentrated on the four playoff teams. Alabama has another four of them. So you figure five perennial strong teams now. Um, six if you count Georgia. So your four playoff teams, Alabama, Georgia, have – 24 of the top 50 players in the country. Um, the five stars are 28 five stars, and exactly where you expect them to be. Clemson has five. Alabama has three. Oregon and Notre Dame have two. LSU has two, maybe three. Ohio State has two. Georgia has two, maybe four. You kind of get where I'm going here. Usual suspects. You're, you're a top handful of schools. Um, is this a playoff effect? Is this the exposure of the sport shining too strongly, too brightly on the the usual suspects
1: is this even a bad thing. I think it's the same thing. It's always been. Uh, There's been a handful of schools that always get the best, the best players. Um, You know, ten, ten. you look back 10 years ago, I'll pull it up as I'm talking and see if I can do it on the fly. But 10 years ago, I'd say probably all the five stars were among uh, six, five or six teams for the most part, just like they are now. They were just a, a couple different. I mean, there's, I'm looking at it now. Alabama's there. Auburn's there. Uh, but of course, a couple things are different. Texas, Florida, USC. So it's not that much different. Uh, I don't think the playoff has changed it that much. Um, there's just been some minor tweaks to which blue blood is, uh, you know, getting the five stars and which ones are not. Uh, for instance, right now, I believe USC uh, is like seventieth in team recruiting ranking right now. That's wild, right? Yeah, and I, and I I just happened to pull up. Said 10 years. So I pulled up 2010 and there they were at number two or number three with five, five stars. And like I said, I think I saw they were in the, yeah, number 78 in the country right now with one four star and no five stars.
0: Well, basically, this um, USC has not been in the playoff and has kind of slid in recent years for whatever reason obvious, hidden, who knows. Um, Clemson has really settled in as a power during the playoff era. Alabama transcended Georgia, got the right coach it looked like, and got things going. Um, You you kind of tell teams that were on the way out haven't gotten back into that, quote-unquote, blue blood. Texas would be another one. Um, And the teams that were strong have stayed strong, Ohio State, Alabama. And then teams like Clemson, Georgia, have situated themselves in the playoff era. What you're saying, blue bloods are always blue bloods, but maybe identities have changed a little bit and maybe the the Final Four here has created a staying power that did not exist before. Maybe this is a mechanism that lets schools more easily say, we are a blue blood. This doesn't have to do with national championships one in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. It has to do with who's been on TV in that Final Four in the past handful of years, which is what these kids are going to relate to the most.
1: Yeah, I think if you can get, if you can string together a handful of Seasons that'll get you say in the new year six or playoff uh, You know stay in that top 15 stay in the national in, in the race for the playoffs at so your conference championship race. That's when you'll start to turn over and, and realize You know reap the reap the rewards from that get those four or five star kids And I think that's why there's been some tweaks like you mentioned with a couple new guys Blue Bloods coming in and staying with the playoffs um Yeah, because I I made this argument back 2010, 11, 12, something about that right when I was first starting about how West Virginia has got to continue to win to get because they got a couple five star kids like they got Noel Devine back in 07. And that was because they had four years in a row of winning and you got to get four, five, six, seven years in a row of elite football. And then the recruits will come one year is not going to cut it. So I think. If you have, if you can count elite as finishing top 12 or so and being in a New Year's 6 or top 4 and going to the playoff, obviously, is another level and do that for a few years, then, yeah, you can make yourself one of those teams.
0: Meanwhile, Oklahoma's been in the playoff for how long? And they have a, the number 11 class in the country, number 2 in the Big 12, because Texas is not back, but <laughs> still Texas, too. All right, well, Chris, uh, let's wrap it up here. You are not done with the recruiting business because, again, it's not all the way over, but preview us, please. What is still up your sleeve for the next couple of days uh, as we hit the road and break a little bit, but don't necessarily tap
1: the brakes. Yeah. Uh, Tonight we're still keeping an eye out for maybe one more commitment. Uh, Lakevious Daniel, junior college cornerback, uh, keep an eye on that. Um, Neil Brown kind of alluded to it. Obviously couldn't say his name, but that's somebody to watch. And then – Once we get an answer on that one way or another, I'll be breaking into some superlatives for this class, fastest, best interview, uh, best story, situations like that. Uh, Then I'll break down some remaining options, some guys that are still on the board that still have West Virginia offers that West Virginia is still interested in who could either come visit for the first time or come back around for a second time before signing day in February. And also Thursday and running for several days I will be doing my behind the scenes feature where I kind of take you pull back the curtain a little bit and share some information that I might have otherwise kept up until this point about each of the positions and some targets and guys who maybe weren't targets that people thought were targets. So,
0: and then we're going to have a parade of podcasts as promised to help people with travel. And that will include special guests to help us sort through the recruiting, excuse me, the coaching cycle. Uh, We'll get Zach Barnett from Football Scoop, and then we're going to devote three episodes to our all-decade teams, one for offense and football, one for defense and football, one for basketball. We have a whole format set out for how we're going to pick teams and argue about it, I'm sure. So that's four podcasts, and then a fifth one on just what it was like for us to cover the team this year. First year with Neil Brown and all of his uh, various implements and thumbprints, uh, what was it like navigating kind of uncharted waters around here too. So a lot going on to keep you entertained and and informed. Otherwise Um, I think it'll be all right.
1: Yeah. I'm really looking forward to arguing with you over who's considered an outside receiver and who's considered an inside receiver and me getting confused and having guys as linebackers instead of safeties. It's going to be great.
0: All right, let's, let's do that right now. We'll just talk about how we're going to do this. We're going to have 10 offensive linemen, two quarterbacks, Two running backs, two tight ends, four outside receivers, two slot receivers, and two wild card receivers. Because there have been good players who were a little bit of each in the receiver category, too. And then on defense, six defensive linemen, six linebackers, two of those, like, edge, secondary, hybrid players, four corners, four safeties, too. So tricky it was difficult because the offenses and the defense have have kind of looked the same but have also had just different parts and different descriptions of the years and it's really hard to do it and i look at these all conference teams with like seven offensive linemen i'm like well we don't have to follow really any rules we can kind of make our own up and that seemed like the best way to do it
1: though uh is it though because i especially I, it's fitting that we're going to bring this up on the podcast but um where are the specialists, mr let's take two long snappers on the road
0: well, all right, uh, two kickers on offense,
1: two punters <laughs> on defense.
0: And, then, I have one, and, and Let's just do I guess one guess
1: kicker, one, one punter. One kicker, one punter, one long snapper. Well, I have snapper. two good kickers. <laughs> you you got to make tough choices, Mike. Okay,
0: and then I guess you're – do we do just two general return men?
1: Kicker, punter, long snapper.
0: Long snapper, we're going to do this?
1: Nah, just kidding. Yeah, okay, kicker, kicker. Kicker, punt returner, punter, kick returner. Yeah, that sounds
0: good. All right, Well, right. We'll roll up our sleeves and get into that in the next couple of days here, but we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, Chris, Herculean work by you. Thanks for uh, for picking up the slack this week.
1: Um, okay. And then
0: we will get together sometime soon to start talking about who's smarter as we look back in the review. But that's all we're going to devote to this episode here. So uh, we will see you next time. I am Mike Casazza.
1: And I'm Chris Anderson.
0: Take care.